You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. It's Friday, October 28th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The world is running out of helium, but the concern is not that we won't be able to blow up balloons. The shortage could impact the usage of MRI machines. Helium is a non-renewable element that comes from the Earth's crust and in its liquid form, is used to cool the magnets that make the MRI work. Caroline Hopkins, freelance reporter for NBC News, joins us for why it is so scarce and how manufacturers are developing newer machines that use less liquid helium. Next, U.S. mortgage rates have shot up over 7%, the highest it's been in 20 years. A year ago, the rate was just over 3%, but this week, the rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage averaged 7.08%. The housing market continues to cool as some sellers refuse to lower prices and buyers are ever more constrained by their budgets. Ben Eisen, banking and finance reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for what to know. Finally, just in time for Halloween, why do so many people take delight in disgusting things? Disgust itself is an emotion of avoidance, originally concerned with possibly harmful foods, but it has evolved to include other things such as violations of morals or cultural rules. Why do disgusting things hold our attention so much? It could be because of something called benign masochism. Bradley Irish, associate professor of English at Arizona State University, joins us for the allure of disgust. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. The main use of helium is MRI machines, is the liquid form of helium, which is the coldest element on Earth. The boiling point is uh, 450 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. So that's probably colder than most people can imagine. Joining us now is Caroline Hopkins, freelance reporter for NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Caroline. Thanks so much for having me. Well, the world is running out of helium. It's one of those unrenewable resources. We find helium in the Earth's crust and it's running out. And, you know, before you think, oh, wow, the big concern, we won't be able to blow up birthday balloons and things like that. There's actually a far more pressing concern. We use liquid helium for use in our in MRIs, which has the medical community pretty worried about what could be coming as we're starting to see this global shortage take place. Uh, so, Caroline, tell us a little bit more about how we're running out of helium. Sure, sure. And, and, you know, it's funny you mentioned balloons. That's obviously everyone's main association with helium. And in its gas form, you know, it keeps balloons rising, um, the balloons not only that we use for parties, but also weather and parades and all that. But that's only about like 5% of the world's helium use. The main use of helium is MRI machines, is the liquid form of helium, which is the coldest element on Earth. 
the boiling point is uh, 450 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. So that's probably colder than most people can imagine. But, you know, the reason why MRIs need helium, that liquid helium, is to keep this really strong magnetic current. So when you lie inside of an MRI machine, you're actually lying inside of a magnetic field, which is, you know, it sounds scary, but it's actually probably the safest imaging technology out there. And to keep that magnetic field going, the coils inside the MRI machine, they need to be superconductive. So they need to have zero resistance, and that means zero heat. And so the only element on Earth cold enough to do that is liquid helium. So that sort of adds to this pressing aspect of um, the fact there's a global shortage going on. And for the MRI machines themselves, they contain about 2,000 liters of liquid helium. Over the course of their lifetime, they probably use about 10,000 liters. You know, as some of it boils off, they need to replace it. And I think we have about 12,000 machines in circulation and constantly we're, you know, adding new machines out there as the demand for this type of imaging technology grows. So, you know, all told together, it's a a very pressing concern. And before we talk a little bit more about the concern there from the medical community, we're experiencing the shortage. And the unfortunate part is that there's not really more places you can go get it. We had uh, four of the five major U.S. suppliers are rationing the element right now. Russia was supposed to be come on board as a big supplier, but we have the war in Ukraine. They had a problem at a plant that they were developing. So we're not getting any help there on that front. The thing about helium is the same thing that makes it float is the reason why it sort of escapes out into the past the atmosphere as soon as it's in its gas form. So it's really hard to sort of keep it around. So anytime it's released, it immediately begins to dwindle. So that's why, you know, it's a finite resource. It's it's hard to recapture it or I guess impossible. And these pockets of it below the Earth's surface are pretty much the only reserves we have. So we were counting on Russia with that big facility you mentioned in Amur that's in Siberia. But, you know, since the war in Ukraine earlier this year, trade relations between the U.S. and Russia have completely been upended and, and it's unclear, you know, if they'll ever return yeah. to normal. So I think, you know, even if that plant does come back online and begins processing the helium, it's really uncertain whether um, we'll be able to access it. Back to the medical concerns, Uh, you know, one of the big concerns is that we won't be able to set up new scanners, as I mentioned, as the demand for it goes up. We're seeing scientists and researchers have their allocations uh, dwindle, right? You wrote up about how some researchers had to shut down projects that they were working on. And it's really forced, uh, you know, these MRI manufacturers and people that make these machines to think of other ways now. Like, how else can we keep these magnets cool enough so that we can continue to use the technology? One thing that's really important that I want to emphasize is that hospitals and doctors right now, they're not shutting down their MRI machines. They're not turning patients away or holding off on ordering an MRI for a patient who might need one. So if you have an MRI scheduled or an injury, you know, I don't worry because the rationing that you mentioned, the suppliers are prioritizing MRI as an important use. So some of the other uses of helium might sort of be cut in order to keep MRIs functioning. So I guess that, that's really important to note. But yeah. as you just mentioned, you know, a lot of researchers at labs, you know, they use liquid helium in a similar capacity as an MRI, and they've had to shut down their machines. And, you know, some balloon stores might not be um, open anymore. But I think sort of a, a bright light in all of this is that, you know, at the end of the day, like the necessities and global shortages sort of 
spur innovation. So a lot of manufacturers that make MRI machines are either they have new new versions that they're testing or implementing, or, you know, they're working on them that use less helium. But, you know, with so many thousands of MRI machines across the country and across the world, really replacing all of those is not only going to take many, many, many years, but also it'll be very expensive. So I think the question is sort of um, timing on this, you know, how fast can we innovate? Caroline Hopkins, freelance reporter at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. People who might have been able to afford houses even just a few weeks ago, now all of a sudden they're contending with much higher potential payments, and that's pushing people to the sidelines, and people are waiting to see if, you know, will mortgage rates come down, or will houses get cheaper, and there's really just a kind of paralysis in the housing market right now. Joining us now is Ben Eisen, banking and finance reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Thanks for having me. Well, the housing market is uh, continuing to not have much good news. The U.S. mortgage rates are over 7%. This is the highest that we've seen in 20 years. They're over 7%. The average 30-year fixed mortgage was 7.08%. So again, not uh, very much good news, but you know we're seeing the Fed continuing to raise interest rates to fight inflation, and uh, the housing market is just continuing to get it. So Ben, what are we seeing with uh-huh. all this? Yeah, mortgage rates have really risen very quickly this year. They've been sort of in a downtrend for really most of the last 40 years. And then all of a sudden, there was an abrupt shift this year. uh, And rates climbed from, you know, around 3% to now over 7%. And the rise, particularly in the last few weeks, has been particularly brisk. And that's really dealt a big blow to the housing market. People who might have been able to afford houses even just a few weeks ago and now all of a sudden they're contending with much higher potential payments and that's pushing people to the sidelines and people are waiting to see if you know will mortgage rates come down or will houses get cheaper and there's really just a kind of paralysis in the housing market right now yeah right now you had a, a stat in here so let's say a buyer who puts down 20 percent on a median priced home they would have about a monthly payment of about 2300 dollars. that's almost an 80 percent increase from a year ago yeah, it's about $1,000 more than it was a year ago. And that really is mostly due to the fact that mortgage rates have risen so much. You have home prices also rising as well, which makes the cost more expensive. But um, really just a few percentage point changes in the actual mortgage interest rate can mean a much higher payment for a potential buyer. You mentioned that uh, a lot of people are not be- being able to buy homes and you know, not necessarily the price home prices dropping so much yet. You spoke to a number of people where you know, they're trying to buy homes, the deals are falling through because they're offering below asking price. And that's one of the things that home sellers haven't uh, have been reluctant to really do is reduce the price of their homes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the elements of just the speed of this rate increase is that people really haven't gotten themselves used to the higher rate. So, you know, with the actual monthly mortgage payment getting so much higher, you know, buyers understandably would, would expect there's less demand for this house. I can Sellers, on the other hand, are getting a bit of whiplash because, you know, the housing market was extremely hot last year. And even just a couple of months ago, uh, homes were still kind of going fast and um, housing market was still hot. So they haven't gotten used to the fact that maybe their homes are worth a decent amount less than they were a little while ago. So there's there's 
I've heard this from buyers that there's this disconnect that buyers want to pay one thing because of the higher rates. Sellers aren't really willing to sell for that yet. Yeah. Yeah, especially coming off of what happened throughout the pandemic, right? Bidding wars and and whatnot. I mean, I guess some of the realtors that say, you know, they're putting homes on the market, uh, they're sitting there for like 30 days, whereas right when everything was really hot, just a few days sitting on the market and they were already getting sold. So I know that's a huge concern there. And right now the housing market is kind of at the center of the Fed's efforts to curb inflation. So they're pushing up interest rates. Obviously, it's pushing up the mortgage rates. What is the overall housing market, the way it's going? How does that figure into all these fears of a recession that might be coming on? Last year, you know, when inflation really started to rise, a lot of what was driving that was just the higher cost of buying a home. You had home prices rising, you know, in some cities as much as 30% year over year. And so, of course, that's going to push up inflation. Now what the Federal Reserve is trying to do is they're trying to slow inflation. And part of that means bringing home prices back into line. So, there's a sense that home prices, they've kind of started to fall on a month-over-month basis. So we're probably just kind of at the beginning of that. And there's a sense that they could fall further. And really, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of by design in terms of what the Fed's doing. They're, they're lifting the cost of borrowing because they want prices to not be rising as fast. And, and so the housing market is really very much at the center of that. Ben Eisen, banking and finance reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs) Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. And what's even more interesting is that it seems to have also evolved to govern not just things that are viscerally harmful to our physical bodies, but also things that are deemed symbolically harmful to our collective bodies things like violations of morals and sacred values. Joining us now is Bradley Irish, Associate Professor of English at Arizona State University. Thanks for joining us, Bradley. Thanks for having me. Well, it's Halloween time. You know, we love to talk about things horror, disgusting, gross, all that. Bradley, you wrote an article for The Conversation talking about why so many people 
are delighted by disgusting things. And, you know, it, you can see it all over the place, right? You see on, uh, on various reality TV shows, you know, Dr. Pimple Popper, various adventurous eating programs, people just eating nasty things. And, you know, sometimes we can't take our eyes away from it. Sometimes it brings us a little joy just to watch someone else go through something crappy like that. But a lot of this goes back into really what disgust really means, this emotion of avoidance. And you wrote a whole piece on it just looking into it. So Bradley, tell us a little bit more about it. So disgust fundamentally is an emotion of aversion and avoidance. It tells us to keep our distance from things that might harm us. And scientists theorize that it first emerged as a safeguard against eating toxic food because many animals actually display a similar distaste mechanism. But in the course of human development, the emotion came to regulate our behavior relative to all sorts of things that might put us in contact with dangerous pathogens, things like uh, how we relate to hygiene, animals, disease, bodily injury, corpses, even contact with strangers. And what's really even more interesting is that it seems to have also evolved to govern not just things that are viscerally harmful to our physical bodies, but also things that are deemed symbolically harmful to our collective bodies, things like violations of morals and sacred values. And this is all part of the same biological and psychological process. And evidence even suggests that being exposed to morally offensive things can cause our stomach to clench as if we were preparing to literally vomit a harmful substance out. Yeah, you constantly so, people, people here say, you know, say things like, well, that makes me sick that, you know, I, I can't keep watching that, all that. Right. And that's, it's the same process. You know, disgust originally emerged as something to help us literally vomit out something that we've eaten that is harmful to us. And it goes all the way through to moral senses now where we might say we're disgusted by an act of racism. Yeah, you made mention in the article that that's why disgust is often known as the gatekeeper emotion, exclusionary emotion. It helps us in that way. Now, that all makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Now, the other side of things, though, but why does it capture our attention so well? Why do we take pleasure even in seeing some of this stuff? Yes, yeah, so that's a really important question. And it comes down to the fact that scientists have long recognized that we have an intentional bias towards threatening and dangerous cues. And this makes a lot of sense from an evolutionary standpoint because it helps to protect us from things that might cause us harm. And this actually seems to be particularly the case with disgusting things because there's evidence that disgusting stimuli capture our attention for even longer than threatening stimuli do. And in general, this is, again, because our brains want us to pay close attention to things in the world that might expose us to dangerous pathogens so we know not to get too close. So in effect, even as we're being told to create distance from these substances, they're still captivating our attention. So that's why we're drawn to them. But in terms of the enjoyment, that's an even uh, larger question, right? And it's not simply the disgusting things can capture our attention. We also, in some situations, can enjoy them. And for hundreds of years, in fact, philosophers and aesthetic theorists have wrestled with the fact that seemingly off-putting things can cause us delight. And one way to account for this is that humans generally like to seek novelty and sensation, and we even like the thrill of ostensibly negative emotions when we know that we're protected from actual harm. So that's why some people like to watch really scary movies or ride roller coasters, because they get to experience the thrill, but they're not actually <laughs> going to be harmed. And in the case of disgust, it's theorized that we might like the sensation 
of coming in contact with disgusting things if we know we won't really be harmed by them, which is why we might take a perverse delight in watching someone on a reality show eat extremely repulsive food. Right. It also, I mean, it confirms it for you in your brain, right? You're watching how uncomfortable they might be or grossed out they might be. And you're like, yep, that's exactly why I'm staying away from that. So it's kind of confirms that in your brain and and you love it, right? It makes you feel like you were right about it. It, You know, all all that uh, really works. I think some psychologists, they call it a benign masochism, uh, uh, looking, looking out for that. Yes, that's exactly right. So the idea is that this is a trait that that many humans have. We are, as I said, sensation-seeking in general. So it helps account for the fact that why, for example, some people like to eat extremely hot food and like the actual pain of eating a a ghost pepper or whatever it may be. They know that it's not really going to harm them, but they still get that thrill from that sensation. And disgust seems to work in the same way. And you also write about how this goes way back, you know, even into Shakespearean times, you know, with uh, uh, different things that uh, people used to do way back in the day, uh, as far as like, you know, public executions and leaving the bodies hanging there like this it has been with us for a long, long time. Yeah, that's actually my area of expertise is the early modern period in England. And one of the things that I found in my research on disgust is that there was this similar visual culture of disgust in which people were encouraged to fix their eyes on things that seem ostensibly disgusting. So people attended public executions, which sometimes got very gory. There were open anatomy theaters where people could go watch doctors perform autopsies for scientific purposes. And early modern apothecaries even used human flesh in their medical compounds and had parts of charred corpses hanging in their shops. So people were indeed accustomed to looking at things that we would find repulsive. But what's vital to recognize is that they weren't simply desensitized to these things. Records show that the people were also horrified by the violent spectacles of execution. They uh, expressed how much they enjoyed watching public autopsies, but they commented on how bad the smell was. And they mentioned that seeing dead corpses in an apothecary's shop was a really exciting thing, but it made them feel ill. So it's not simply that people four or 500 years ago had a different disgust threshold, though they undoubtedly did, but they were encouraged to fix their eyes on something, even as it made them feel like turning away. And it's exactly the same thing that we experience today, whether it's reality shows or scary movies. Bradley Irish, Associate Professor of English at Arizona State University. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.